Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am Darren Claxton. This is episode one of Faith Practically. Uh, in this inaugural session, I'll give you a general introduction to myself so you know who I am. Uh, we'll talk about some of the goals that I have for the show, uh, my inspiration behind the show, and we'll use a very unusual object lesson to introduce a concept that I've dubbed practical faith. This is something we're going to be diving very deep into, lay, uh, pulling back the layers of the onion, as it were, and seeing how this thing works. So let's start off with prayer. Father God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about myself. You'll get to know me over the course of time. But uh, I will say I'm a husband, uh, married 10 years to my beautiful wife, Naomi, still madly in love with her. I have two uh, sons. We have two, two boys, uh, one years old and five years old. They're my world. Obviously, I do everything for them. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a full-time business owner, software developer, uh, programmer by trade. We create uh, business apps, mobile apps, desktop apps, uh, and it's given me the opportunity to, to travel the world, which has been a real blessing. But the real thing that defines me the most is the fact that I'm a child of God, as, as cliched as that sounds. Uh, my passion is my ministry. Uh, everything that I do points to Christ. And, you know, my wife and I, my family and I, we just moved back to the Washington, D.C. area. This is my hometown. And for the past 10 years, we lived in Tucson, Arizona. And the amazing blessing that we had there was attending a small church that put us to work in ministry pretty much from day one. Uh, neither my wife and I felt uh, prepared to do that. But the people there were very they're very encouraging. They, they, they gave us the tools and they put a passion within us. And that was our training ground for the work of Christ. Uh, you know, so I was a, I was a teacher, I mentored young adults. Uh, I uh, facilitated Bible studies that was eventually ordained as an elder in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I, I preached, I sat on the board, uh, oversaw departments. We did leadership training. We did community service. But all of that really pales in comparison to what my true passion is and my calling that I believe that God's put in my heart. And that's just being with people, uh, forging relationships, praying with people, listening to people, uh, giving them counsel. Uh, you know, and that kind of transitions us into the purpose of the show, the inspiration for the show, because with the interactions that I had with these individuals and then uh, subsequently reflecting on my own life and my own spiritual walk with God made me realize that this balance or this struggle to find a balance in our lives between our spiritual life of faith in Christ and our practical daily lives in the world and finding out where those two paths intersect. Uh, you know, if I am a student, full-time student, or I'm a spouse, or I'm a, you know, I have my career, or have, I'm an entrepreneur, uh, there are all these things that are vying for my attention. And so I get home after all of those things and I have like no time to pray and to read my Bible and to 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 worship and to do service. So how do I find the time to do those those both? Um, is there such thing as praying too much, doing too many godly things? You know, they, they, they always say, well, you're so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. Is that a thing? What about if you have major life decisions to make? And, you know, you're praying for direction, you're praying and you're not getting anything. And all of a sudden it's tomorrow 
that you have to make a decision. All of a sudden, you have bills that are due tomorrow. You have a decision to be made on a job that you applied for or a college you applied for. Where do you turn to where it seems like God is not answering your prayer? Where is this voice that people talk about where God is, is speaking to them and giving them direction? You haven't heard it. And so now you're like, I got to do things myself. So maybe you've asked some of these questions and more. Uh, or maybe you've just been so caught up with your life and, you know, living life on autopilot, going through the motions that you haven't had time to think about these things. Maybe your faith is in question. Maybe you're doubting. Should I even, is it even worth spending time doing all of these things for God, going to church, even calling yourself a Christian? Or maybe you have a great relationship with God. Praise God. But you have people in your life who are asking these questions and they really resonate with them and you've been unable to encourage them. So these are some of the things we'll be talking about on the show. Uh, And I, I want this to be organic. I want you guys to be giving topics, to be giving feedback. So check us out on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, go to the website, faithpractically.com. Uh, watch us on voxwave.com and, and leave some feedback and maybe we'll use some of those topics in a future show. So normally uh, it'll be me and you and the Holy Spirit chopping it up. Sometimes we'll have guests that come in, uh, guests who are believers of various levels of success of differing uh, walks of life, and we'll kind of pick their brains on how they have struggled and and try to make it through the challenges in their careers with their relationships, the the te- the 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 the, uh, the um, temptation to compromise. That's always something that, that's at the top of the list, particularly when you get successful. So we'll pick their brains and, and hear from them on that. So let's get into the meat of this session and kind of introduce this concept, practical faith. And to do that, I'm going to tell you a story about a young brother from around the block. His first name is Mac. His last name is Daddy. Now, if you don't know about Mac Daddy, I'm going to tell you about Mac Daddy because Mac Daddy loves ladies. Ladies love Mac Daddy. I mean, everywhere he went, he had a pretty young thing on his arm. You know what I'm saying? A pocket full of numbers. Uh, that's one of the ways that you could tell the smoothness of a brother's. How many numbers he had, how many ladies he had, their information in his black book. He was living large and in charge. You know, King Kong ain't got nothing on him. He's at the club spitting game, just dropping them dead. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he, he's leaving. He, he's just doing his thing until he meets the one. Up until that point, there were a lot of women that thought that they could be the one, thought they could lock him down, thought they could tame the beast. But he was leaving them all in flames. He was taking names, breaking hearts, and moving on to the next until that day that he met the one. The one, she was, she was beautiful inside and out. She was intelligent, but she was different. She spoke differently. She treated people with respect. She treated herself with respect. Um, and, and, and she sees right through Mac Daddy, like, like all the game he tries to spit, the lines he tries to use on her. He, she, nothing uh, 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 penetrates her because she's heard it all before. But he doesn't really have to use lines on her because she keeps it real. And so he feels like he can be real with her. And Homegirl's a star in her own right. I mean, she has a beautiful singing voice from heaven. If folks think that she's going to be the next Whitney Houston. She literally has a singing career lined up where she's going to be traveling the world with her voice. But her and Mac Daddy start hanging out hard and something about her draws him in. He's very emotionally connected to her and he stops hanging out with his boys less and less. He stops returning calls from the other young ladies. He stops going to the club and his boys start to clown him. 
Like, like, what's going on with you, man? You know, this, this, this girl's got you sprung. It's got you wide open. What's going on, Mac Daddy? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Something about her. She just might be the one. And so they date really hard for some time. And eventually, Mac Daddy makes a jump. You know, he pops a question. She says yes. He puts a ring on it. And he hangs up the pimp suit, hangs up the threads and then the hat and the boots, turns in his player card. Words on the street that Mac Daddy is a married man. He's off the market for good. And homegirl, she knows that her seeing career is not conducive to a marriage, particularly to someone like Mac Daddy. She's going to be out of town a lot. She's going to be traveling the world. So she gives up her singing career and goes to trade school, local trade school, so she can be close to her husband. And things are good for a while. Because you see, homegirl knows how to cook. I mean, so now that they're living together, Mac Daddy's getting three scrumptious meals a day. Oh, he is loving life. He is loving every minute. They're spending all their time together. They're finishing each other's sentences. They're in full honeymoon mode. But unfortunately, old habits die hard. See, Mac Daddy starts to have a few late nights. And so he comes in late one night and, and wifey asks him, where were you last night? And he says, oh, you know, I was just playing cards with the fellas, which was true. But he assumed that if that his wife didn't like playing cards and if he wanted to do so, he couldn't do it with his wife. A couple more nights pass. He's out late again. So wifey asked him, where were you last night? He says, oh, me and my peoples went to see the Terps basketball game, which was true. But again, he assumed that she didn't like basketball. And if he wanted to participate in that, he could not do it with his wife. Wifey's got a few haters masquerading as friends with some of you folks out there you can you can relate to these women have no desire to help her whatsoever but they just go running and telling her everything that mac daddy's doing so one of these haters comes her and says you know i saw your husband uh, at a nice fancy restaurant last night uh with some young lady who wasn't you so she asks him what's up and he says, oh, you know, that she, she was a, she's, a, she's a lawyer, and I'm trying to start this business, and she was kind of showing me the ropes, which was true. But again, he presumed that his wife did not have comparable or better expertise on the matter. Another one of those haters says, you know, well, my sister-in-law's baby cousin Tracy says she saw your man at the movies all hugged up with some next chick. So wifey asks him because she's starting to get a little concerned. I mean, again, she knows these haters have no desire for her betterment, but she knows Mac Daddy's past. So she pulls him aside. Yeah, what's going on? And he says, baby, you ain't got to worry about nothing. What you throw down in the kitchen, brother, is not going nowhere. That new Fast and Furious came out. You know, I was trying to check it out. And I know you don't like action movies, so you wasn't into that kind of thing. Another assumption. For married men, there is this principle of success, a key to success that one of my mentors calls the Modesto principle. And essentially it says, as a married man, never find yourself alone with a woman who's not your wife because nothing good's going to happen. And unfortunately, Mac Daddy never got this memo. And so what started as innocent encounters with strange women turned into him regularly stepping out on his wife and being unfaithful. It got to the point that the only time wifey saw him was when he wanted a meal because despite his shenanigans, she always forgave him and she always kept cooking three scrumptious meals a day. And so in his mind, all he thought that she was good for was cooking and looking pretty on his arm. Now, as a man, you know that you're on a bad path when your boys who are down to ride or die and do dirt with you 
become the voice of your conscience. And so his boys are like, yo, man, I know we kind of teased you about this whole ball and chain and, 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 and being on lockdown, but righteously, you got a good woman. Why are you out there disrespecting her with these women in the streets? Mac Daddy's like, I know, man, I, I want to be faithful. She's been, so, she's been so loyal. She's been so forgiving. She's been there for me. She sacrificed everything to be with me, but I can't get everything I need from her. And he's not just talking about the obvious need. He's like, I want to go play cards. I want to go to the basketball game, and I want to go roller skating. And one of his friends is like, yo, let me stop it right there, player. Do you really know your wife? It's like, kind of questions that, of course I know my wife. Like, no, do you really know your wife? I'm going to be married to her and not know her. His friend says, how can you say you know your wife and not know that she loves playing cards? And is a good card player. How can you say you know your wife and not know that she loves basketball? How can you say you know your wife and not know that she loves roller skating? How can you say you know your wife and think she's only good for cooking and looking pretty on your arm? Bruh, if you got to know your wife, I mean, really get to know your wife, you'd realize that everything you need is at home. And so you, you hear in the story and you're like, man, that, that's, that's a cute little story. But what does that have to do with practical faith? Here's the interpretation of the parable. Because you remember how life was for you as a Christian before you were converted. You were out in the world doing all kinds of foolishness, living large and in charge, getting your swerve on until that day you met the one. His name is Yeshua. His name was Jesus the Christ. And, you know, when you first encountered Jesus, he made you feel better. He talked to you differently than the way that the world spoke to you. You know, you were very emotionally connected. And so you started spending time with him. You know, you started reading this word. You couldn't get enough of the word. Um, and eventually you stopped hanging out at the club. You stopped returning calls from questionable influences and your friends started to clown you. Like, what's going on with you? Why don't you hang out anymore? Why don't you do this and do that? And you're like, I don't know, man. There's something about this Jesus, you know, makes me want to be better, inspires me to be a better person. And so one day you take the jump. And you put a ring on it. You get baptized. You commit to him. And so now you're in church every Saturday, every Sunday. You're in the word. You're at prayer meeting. You're at Bible study. You are in love with Jesus. But unfortunately, old habits die hard. And after a few innocent encounters with the world, you found yourself regularly stepping out. You know, because in your mind, Christ could not offer everything the world could. And there you were in the world, getting unfaithful, not realizing that everything you need is at home. So let's 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 ask the question. How do we really balance our life of faith with our practical life in the world? This so-called dilemma that Mac Daddy has trying to balance his time with his wife and, and not having to cheat on her. That's what we're dealing with as Christians. Or that's what we think we're dealing with, because to acknowledge this is the problem is to assert that there is some kind of incompatibility between faith and practicality, like they're polar opposites, you know? So when I talk about practical faith, some of you are like, that's an oxymoron. That's a contradiction in terms. Either you are about faith or you're about practicality. Either you're about prayer or you're about action. You can't do both. But in the book of James chapter two, it says that faith without works, faith without action is dead. And really, faith without works is no faith at all. It's a pseudo faith. It's a wannabe faith. It's an excuse for laziness. So we need to see how 
faith currently fits into the equation of our lives. And to do so, we need to understand that all of us have what I call toolboxes. Now, a toolbox is something that you draw knowledge and inspiration and direction for specific categories in your life. So for, for me and my wife, we have a parenting toolbox. And, and if you're like us and you have multiple children, after their first child is born, another one's on the way, you can draw on your past experience. That's part of your, your, your parenting toolbox. If this is your first child, you can ask others who have had kids. You can read books. You can look, look at videos. Now, not like any, any of that's going to help you <laughs> if we're going to be real, but, but those are things that are in your parenting toolbox. But if you're going to beg a cake, you don't use a parenting toolbox. You close that toolbox and you open the cooking toolbox. And there you've got your recipes and you've got blogs and you've got the food network. For every aspect of our lives, we have toolboxes, you know, so you've got a sports toolbox, you've got a careers toolbox, you've got a marriage toolbox, uh, a car repair toolbox, a sewing toolbox, a pet toolbox, and you have a faith toolbox. Now, your faith toolbox is whatever that you think that you need for your spirituality. And maybe it's only got church attendance once a week, God forbid. Hopefully, though, you've got some things in there like group prayer, uh, personal prayer, Bible study, uh, reading Christian books, praise and worship, uh, Christian service, doing things for God, receiving a blessing and being a blessing. So the first question is, what is in your faith toolbox? We'll actually look at that at the end of the show. But the more pertinent question is, in what scenarios are you opening your faith toolbox? Now, notice I didn't ask how often you open the faith toolbox because you might be opening it every day. You might be having morning devotions. You might be reading your Bible every day. You might be praying by yourself, praying with others, visiting people, doing good things. Uh, And all of these are positive. But we have this tendency or we're conditioned to treat the faith toolbox like all the others. And we only go to it when we think the situation is applicable to that that aspect. So if you're only going to that faith toolbox, when you think of something that's faith based or something that's outside of your control, we have this expression. All we can do is pray. So we sit back, we throw our hands up and we say, OK, we'll let God handle it. But if we suspect that we have a viable tool in any one, in one of our other toolboxes, we'll go run into that before we even think about calling on God. So I'm going to say this with no apology. If you are not going to your faith toolbox every time you have a problem, Every time that you are tempted to go to one of your other toolboxes, you know better than Mac Daddy, assuming wifey is only good for cooking and looking pretty on his arm. So we'll take a break for just a minute. And on the other side, we'll dive more into this topic.
Welcome back. So we were speaking about the faith toolbox and how we need to be using it for every situation because a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. And this goes for for any tool. You know, if you have a tool that you haven't tested, you cannot rely on it in a tough situation. And, and, and for example, let's open the car repair toolbox. Uh, about 20 years ago, I bought a portable battery charger for my car. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. If you get stuck on the side of the road and you don't have somebody to jump you or you don't have any jumper cables, you can just plug this thing to your battery and it will start your car. But the thing about it is you have to charge it on a regular basis. You have to plug it into the wall and charge it. And, and, and over time, after several years, it will actually lose its charge altogether and have to be replaced. So if you have not tested that battery charge and it's been sitting in the back of your car for a couple of years, you have no confidence that when you need it most, it will be reliable. And that's the same thing with our faith. The next thing is that sometimes when it comes to our faith and the threat to future success, the biggest threat is past success. In other words, we we trust in God. We know we lean upon him. He directs our path. We acknowledge him and everything. And he opens the doors, giving us a victory, some victory, whether a big victory or a small victory. And on the strength of that, we get cocky. We think we can close the faith toolbox and go back to one of our practical worldly toolboxes. But the faith toolbox needs to be our first option, not our last resort. And when we delay in going to the faith toolbox, there's always a consequence. When you read your Bible tonight, notice I said when you read, I want you to check out Joshua chapters 6, 7, and 8. And in this passage, we read the account of Joshua and the children of Israel who are now entering the land of Canaan. This is the land that was promised by God for their generations to come. They were going to wipe out all of the heathen nations that were there, and they were very well fortified and very heavily defended nations in that land. And in chapter six, we see the account of Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. We know that we would know that that was an improbable situation. That was an impregnable city that God gave specific instructions and the instructions he gave Joshua were not what we call practical instructions. Uh, these are not tactics that would exist in any military commander's toolbox. And particularly for a guy like Joshua. Now you remember when Joshua first comes on the scene in Exodus 17, he's fighting the Amalekites. And, you know, when Moses has his hands up, Joshua and his warriors are winning the battle. And when Moses' hands are down, they're losing the battle. So Mo Moses gets a couple of brothers to prop his hands up until Joshua and the children of Israel win, win that battle. So this is a guy with a lot of renown, with a lot of clout from a military standpoint. But he has to recognize that God has tools in his faith toolbox that will give him victory on the battlefield. So he tells them when it comes to Jericho, they send out spies. And then they march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, they march around seven times. They blow the trumpets. They shout. And the walls came tumbling down. Fabulous story. But in Joshua chapter 7, we see that he gets a little copy, cocky. And they have the next objective on their list in their conquest is a small city called Ai. And so Joshua's like, well, the last time I consulted the faith toolbox, God told me to send out spies. So I'll do the same thing. And, and so he goes out. That seems like a smart strategy. He goes there. It's a small city. There's not a lot of defenses. So he sends a small regiment and they get sent running and 36 men lose their lives. 
And what Joshua did not realize, which he would have known had he gone to God first, was that there was a traitor in the camp. Because when it came to Jericho, God had told his people to burn the entire city, to not take any of the contents, not take any of the gold or the silver or the clothing. The gold was supposed to go into the treasury of the house of the Lord, but all the other items were cursed items. So this brother Achan had secretly taken some items and hidden them, and because of that, the entire uh, army was cursed. Now, again, had Joshua gone to his faith toolbox, this would have been revealed to him, and he could have avoided this tragedy that happened. So once he goes to God, uh, they cut out the cancer, they deal with Achan, and they go back to Ai, and they get success. But they go back with a battle plan crafted by the Most High, and they get the victory. But what always gets me is that in Joshua chapter 7, I think it's verse 10, after they get defeated the first time by Ai, Joshua's praying and he's crying and he's on his, his knees. He's like, Lord, how did this thing happen? Why did this, this, this take place? And, and, and God says, get up, why are you on your face? And some people use this text to justify the notion that, you know, there's a time to pray and there's a time to do. This notion that, you know, y'all doing too much praying. Uh, you know, we need some some tangible, some concrete, some practical solutions. But one thing I always I used to say in my old church is when it comes to prayer, overkill is underrated. You can't pray enough. Um, so when you go to your faith toolbox and you pull out prayer, you got to follow the acronym PUSH. You pray until something happens, you know. Uh, but normally what we do. We, we, we get on our knees for like five seconds, and if we don't hear anything, we, we jump up real quick, you know what I'm saying? Because we're waiting for a plan of attack from God. We hear nothing, and so we say, I got a plan, attack. I can tell you from personal experience, it's not a great plan. But let's go next level. What if you didn't spend just five seconds on your knees? What if you were really praying? You were fervently praying about a decision in your life and God never spoke to you because most of us would, would 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 posit that if, you know, God spoke to us with the clarity that he spoke to Joshua and to Abraham and to Moses and to Elijah and all these people in the Bible, you know, thousands of years ago, well, I'll have some practical faith, too. But when I get on my knees and I'm praying about my job and praying about my studies and praying about my career and praying about my marriage, my children, God's not speaking to me, so I have no choice but to resort to one of my worldly toolboxes. To that, I've got, I've got two things for that, in response to that. The first thing is that our muscles of faith, our faith muscles are weak. Like I said, we've been conditioned to always go to God last and go to one of our other toolboxes first. So even when we pray, even if we do pray first, in the back of our minds, we're really thinking about what toolbox we would rather use. And we're thinking, you know, I'm going to end up dealing with this myself. So we don't have the faith to realize that God is the ultimate standalone resource. You know, um, you guys remember the story in Daniel chapter one, where Daniel and his three friends get captured by the Babylonians um, and they're in captivity and they get this wonderful opportunity to serve at the king's table and to study and be, be, be become wise men. And it says that they purpose in their hearts to put God first in what they ate and what they did to have this practical faith. And it says that King Nebuchadnezzar tested them and found them to be 10 times smarter than their Babylonian counterparts. So in other words, 
when the king tested them, they he didn't ask them biblical questions. He didn't ask him about righteousness by faith or breaking down some theological concept. These Babylonians were pagans. So when they put God first and they had this practical faith, they got what we would call worldly knowledge, worldly wisdom. You know, there are you realize that people have gotten wealthy just by following the principles of the Bible. People have repaired their marriage just by following the word of God. People have gotten out of debt. Everything you need is in this word. One of my favorite Christian authors is a man by the name of John C. Maxwell. And uh, he, he was a pastor. All of his degrees are in Masters of Divinity, theological degrees, but he is one of the foremost authorities on leadership in the country. He literally travels the world speaking and, and authoring books and conducting workshops on leadership. And every chance he gets, whether in person or whether in his books, he says, everything I learned about leadership, I got from the Bible. So I'm going to ask you, like, I, like Mac Daddy's friends ask him, do you really know God? I mean, truly know God? How are you going to say you know God and not realize he's good at helping you buy a house? How are you going to say you know God and not realize that he is able to direct in your marriage? He's able to help you study for that Ph.D. He's able to help you in directing the lives of your children. Because you say you know God, but you're going to the world for everything else. And he has everything that you need. That's the first thing. We don't have our faith muscles strong enough to recognize that God is the ultimate standalone resource. The second thing, the second reason why we pray and we're not hearing God's voice is because the world is drowning him out. You know, we have not gotten to know God like Mac Daddy, because the truth be told, Mac Daddy had a service relationship with his wife. He had a, 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 a it was not in depth. And so he thought he knew her, but he really didn't. And that's kind of how we are with God. We don't get intimate with God enough. Now, you realize that prayer is the most intimate action you can engage in. It's more intimate than anything that takes place in the marriage bedroom. And, you know, like Mac Daddy, who's used to getting the women easy, we want God to give up the goods just like that. You know, we spend all day getting drunk with the world and we come home with Satan on our breath trying to get a kiss from God. Like, like, like speak to me, uh, 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 reveal your glory to me, uh, make me wiser than my enemies. But check this. God don't get down on the first night. God is not into one night stands. You have to have a relationship with him. You know, you're trying to get all up and close and personal with him and get him to reveal all sorts of things to you. And he's like, get back, get back. You don't know me like that. You know, there is I want to I want us to look at Jeremiah chapter two, verse twenty three, because if you're not being intimate with God, you're getting intimate with the world. Let me revise that. If you're not getting down with God, you're getting down with the devil because there's no in between. You know, Christ said we cannot serve two masters. And I'm wondering, are we so naive to think that the first two commandments that speak about idolatry either no longer apply or they only apply to physical idols? So let's see what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 23. The prophet says, how can you say I am not polluted? I have not gone after the bales. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways. A wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs in the wind, sniffs at the wind in her desire. In her time of mating, who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. I'm going to tell you what this text means to me. 
Because I don't know about you, but I like my, my sleep, for example. And so I get home after a long day of practical life in the world. I'm tired. I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to spend some time with God. He's calling me, but the bed is calling louder and the bed wins. But now I change the scenario. I get home still tired. But when the world chases us, we can't run that fast. So when that Netflix series has come out, I'm exhausted, but I find amazing energy to sit up till three and four in the morning to binge watch that thing. Or, or I go to Facebook or to YouTube to watch that one thing and I end up spending an eternity on there. Or I get on the phone with that person I know I'm not supposed to be talking to and hours seem like seconds just getting caught up in the world. And, and we know this passage in Jeremiah is, is really God speaking through the prophet to his people, to his love, the love of his life. And they've been wayward. They're, they're being idolatrous, serving other, other gods. And what ends up happening to them is they have consequences. You know, you have these heathen nations that come and oppress them. And in the midst of their oppression, they will cry out to God for help. And, and God actually starts to mock them in verse 27, where God is speaking. He says, um, you know, they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in their time of trouble, they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. So basically, God is saying, man, when things go bad, don't come running back to me for help. Because we know what toolbox to go to when all else fails. We know when the bread is butter. But as long as we think we're getting answers in the world, we got no time for God. But now that the script is flipped. And now that you have a loved one that's sick and near death, now you want to get intimate with God. Now that your marriage is on the rocks, now you want to get serious. Now that you lost your job and bill collectors are banging down your door and debt is piling up. Now you want to be down with G.O.D. God's like, yo, where are those guys you fashioned for yourself? Go to them and have them bail you out. You like playing NBA 2K or Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed. That's what consumes your time. Why don't you go to those video games and see if they can heal your loved one? Why don't you go to social media and see if they can help put your marriage back together? Why don't you go to Fox News or CNN and see if they can get you a job? Why don't you go to ESPN or the NFL or the NBA and see if they can get you out of debt? Because here's the inconvenient truth. When we analogize Mac Daddy cheating on wifey in the streets with us cheating on God with the world, we had it twisted. It's not that we are married to God and occasionally stepping on him, stepping out on him with the world. Most of us are married to the world and Christ is our side piece. Christ is a Saturday fling. Christ is a mistress. Now, every now and then, maybe every week, maybe resurrection weekend, maybe Christmas, or we do a big, you know, we, we get the tux all pressed. We get the dress looking nice. We, we, we wine and dine God at a nice restaurant. We, we go to the opera. We, 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 we rent a limo, take a night on the town, make him feel special. But come the next morning, we're gone. Back to the world and we leave a note on the cold bed saying, see you when I see you. We're not married to God. The devil is our main squeeze. The devil is wifey. The devil is hubby. And what's worse to the devil, you are the side piece. To the devil, he is Mac Daddy. You're the one being played. You're the one being wined and dined. You're the one that's about to be used and abused and dropped like it's hot. Because it is hot in the heartbreak hotel of hell. And, and the devil is, it, it wants to leave you in flames. 
He is taking names, he's breaking hearts, and he's moving on to the next. His only goal is to steal and kill and destroy. So you know what it's time to do? It's time to break up with the devil. It's time to break up with the world. When the devil gets back, he needs to find the locks changed. You know what I mean? And, and a sign on your heart that says, under new management. Put him out. When he gets back, he needs to find his stuff on the curb. Put him out. When he gets home, you know, let him yell and scream at you. Talking about, oh, faith in God is not practical. You know, I got what you want. I got what you need. If you go out that door, I'm cutting you off. I'm canceling your credit cards. You can forget about fame and fortune. And you tell the devil, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus because in him, I have everything I need at home. Try to break up with the devil. He's going to guilt trip you into coming back, into crawling back. He's like, I know you're dirt. I was with you the whole time. You know, remember how wifey had those those haters masquerading his friends, running and telling her all the things that Mac Daddy was doing. The devil is the ultimate hater. And he is going to God saying he is taking your good name. She is taking your good name and just dragging it through the mud. And he tells you, God ain't going to take you back. You might as well roll with me. You belong to me. And you tell him that might have been true. Were it not for my Jesus. My Jesus who, who, who died for me, my Jesus who's forgiven me, my Jesus who knows my dirt but loves me anyway, my Jesus who sacrificed everything to be with me so I can have life and have it more abundantly. You say, devil man, because of my Jesus and what he did on the cross, you are on the wrong side of the great controversy. It is finished. It is done. There is no version of this where you come out on top, period. You have a reservation in the lower deck in the suite of the lake of fire. And it is confirmed and is non-refundable. Because of my Jesus, I am looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. So see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. You understand what I'm saying? And, and when you break up with the devil, you break up with the world, you put him out, you start hearing God's voice, you start going to that faith toolbox early and often, you start getting intimate with God, you realize there is no balance to be had. It's all about faith. And with your faith in Christ, that forms a foundation for every aspect of your life, and it fuels your decisions and all that you do. So that's the topic that you're, we're going to be covering. We're going to be breaking down component by component. Um, I know I use a lot of cliches. That's not going to be standard going forward. We're not going to be using those phrases we kind of throw out in church. We want to see practically how do we build this faith? Practically, how do I... Uh, improve my relationship with God, which I know should be better. It's not better. How do I make it better? Those are the things we're going to be tackling and seeing how we can maintain our faith through the fires of life. So at the end of every show, I'm going to have a section called self check. This is where I'm going to challenge you with ways to be introspective, where you're going to look honestly at yourself and see some things that you can improve upon by God's grace. And sometimes there'll be things that I mentioned early in the show and it's just a repeat. Uh, and other times it's, uh, it's new things I'm bringing to the table. So today I've got two self-check items. The first thing is what is in your faith toolbox? And like I mentioned before, these need to be items besides you going to church every week and getting spoon fed by the pastor. So if you are addicted to your phone, for example, um, use your phone, download a Bible app, 
you know, one of my favorites is Uversion, but you also got Bible Hub, you got Bible Gateway. I'll throw some links in the description of this video. There are Bible games you can play, trivia games you can play. You can download books from one of your favorite Christian authors like John Maxwell and many others. You can download podcasts like this one, um, co content that glorifies God. And those are the things that will build up your faith toolbox. Uh, find someone who is willing to be a prayer partner. Someone who will consistently, preferably on a week by week basis, be your accountability partner, someone you can be transparent with, someone that you can share with and you can grow together with that individual. Um, if you don't, if you can't find someone who's down to make the commitment, um, just write a list, pray first and come up with a list of people in your life that you know are struggling or dealing with challenges and then just call them up for a few minutes and be like, you know, um, I'm, I, I only have a few minutes, but I, want, I, was, I was impressed to call you and pray for you. What can I pray for? And I doubt anybody would turn that down or very few people would turn that down. So these are things that can build up your faith toolbox. So that's the first thing. Um, and you can also put reminders on your phone. So if you're, you, you know, you want to read the Bible, you can do a chapter a day. You can put a reminder on your phone. You can put a reminder to read other things that will help you get into the pattern of using this faith toolbox, which brings me to the second item where I want you to write a list of things that you're passionate about. Dare I say more passionate about than God. Um, and, and I want you to be genuine. You know, don't don't play yourself because only you and God are going to see this list and he already knows what's on the list. So so don't so don't don't get cute. Um, and these things I want you to write down. And for the next 30 days, I want you to purpose in your heart that every time that you're tempted to go to that item to instead open your faith toolbox. For example, if you love Twitter, you can't get enough of Twitter. And every chance you get, whether you are, you know, watching your kids play at the playground or you're standing in line at the grocery store or you're taking yet another break from your studies or at work, you know, or God forbid you're in the car, you know, stop at a stoplight and you pull out your phone to check the latest tweets. Instead, read the Bible, uh, read a chapter, read a, read a, read a few paragraphs from your favorite Christian book. Now, not when you're in your car driving. Um, if you're in your car, you know, call up somebody, pray with them, pray in your head. Utilize that time, even for a few minutes, to connect with infinite power. If you're wondering about, you know, things, how do I figure out what's on this list? Well, Christ said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So the things that you treasure, the things that you take time doing. So what are the things that take your discretionary time? You know, maybe you have a few minutes while the kids are napping and you're trying to unwind. You're trying to unplug. What are the things that you think about when you're about to fall asleep? So write down these items and just pick one. Don't get overly ambitious and try to tackle every item on the list. Just pick one and for 30 days, we'll see if we can break the habit. You know, some researchers say that if you do something consistently for 21 days, it becomes a habit. Others say it's close to 70. We'll do 30 and we'll see what God does with this. Also, don't get discouraged if you, for example, you spend five minutes reading the Bible or, or talking to someone and then you spend an hour after that on YouTube. The idea of this challenge is to reprogram your impulses so that naturally when you're tempted, you go to that faith toolbox and eventually the time will work itself out. So those are the two challenges I have for you. Again, I invite you check us out on Facebook or Twitter. Leave some commentary. I want this to be your show. Uh, go to our website, faithpractically.com. Check us out every Wednesday, 1030 a.m. 
uh, Eastern Standard Time on voxwave.com. You can see a stream, you can see this on YouTube. And I wanna get some feedback, some commentary, so this becomes uh, a forum for you to, to, to talk about your challenges and your struggles and things that you need answers for, and we'll figure them out together. I don't have all the answers, but I know someone who does. And his name is Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, we lift your name on high for what you have done in our lives. We thank you for the trials that have been distractions for us that make it difficult to find a balance with you, but you still put somewhere inside of us that yearning to improve our relationship, that sense that something is not right. So we're asking, Lord, that, that you would give us the impetus to seek you early and often, to not relegate you to things that we think are outside of our, our realm of possibility, but to go to you for everything, you being the author and finisher of our faith and understanding that our help comes from you. I pray for those who are watching, who are listening, who have their own struggles, who have their own doubts. I'm asking that you reveal yourself to them, that you give them glimpses and that you help us uh, in reprogramming our nature, removing our sinful hearts and replacing them with a heart that's in tune with you and your will. Help us over these next 30 days as we purpose to be closer to you. Help us not to be discouraged. We rebuke the devil and all his machinations who would try to work and, and, and discourage us and whisper in our ears that we are lost, but we embrace the salvation by your son who died for us, and we thank you for that sacrifice that we were not worthy of, and we're looking forward to the day that we can see you in peace when you come back to save us all. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you again for watching the show, for listening to the show. Tune in every time, and I'm thankful that you have the opportunity that somehow, some way, God directed you, directed you to this. It's not a coincidence. I don't subscribe to coincidence. I subscribe to providence. So God bless, and we'll see you next time.